For 19 seasons, Ellen DeGeneres had a daytime TV show. And that show had a single idea. Be kind to one another. So it's ironic and unfortunate that in May of this past year, the show ended after several of her former employees and former guests came forward and shared what it was like to work on The Ellen Show. After those accounts, it became clear that while Ellen talked about kindness a lot, she was not always so kind herself. The host was accused of sometimes being verbally abusive, showing favoritism, making guests and employees feel used and unvalued. The truth is that many will promote a message of kindness because kindness goes a long way, and many will say this, but it means nothing unless there is real, genuine kindness in action attached to it. So there's a gap in our society because kindness is something that we all know matters, is it not? We instill it into our children from the very beginning. Be kind, share, be nice. We know that it matters and we want the real thing, don't we? Which is partially why we get so upset when we see celebrities, politicians, pastors being hypocritical not practicing what they preach. But what is kindness? How can you spot genuine kindness? And how can we cultivate it in ourselves? As we open God's Word this morning in the book of Ruth, we'll see that kindness is only genuine when it is divine. And I've got two points for you about this. First, divine kindness is kindness that's informed by God's love for us. Second, divine kindness is mediated through people. So as we continue in the story of Ruth this week, we pick back up where the story seemed to come to a quick pause last week. And as Ruth has met Boaz in his field where she's waiting to glean, meaning to walk behind the harvesters as they harvest the barley, and she would pick up the the individual kernels that would fall and Um, That would be how she would survive and what she would make food out of. Boaz has heard of Ruth's worthy reputation already in Israel as a woman who has left her homeland of Moab to care and live with her widowed mother-in-law. Ruth, as we know, is herself a widow. And now she is without husband, without family, and as a foreigner in Israel with out of home. Boaz, however, hears about Ruth's great sacrifice and care for Naomi, and he extends to her an extraordinary opportunity to glean in his field. So this story picks back up where we assume is lunchtime on the same day as Boaz invites Ruth to come and eat with he and his workers at his table. You'll notice in Verse 14, Boaz invites Ruth, the foreigner, not only to harvest, to glean in his field, but come have a meal with me, come to lunch. Friends, an invitation like this, a Moabite, 
would never have been invited to come eat at an Israelite male lunch. He's a landowner, a man. This is unheard of. But Boaz says, come here, eat some bread, dip it in the wine. He's inviting Ruth to participate, not as a foreigner, friends, but as a member of God's covenant community. And the text says that she ate until she was satisfied. Having leftovers even, this meal meets all of her immediate needs. It satisfies her hunger. And Boaz satisfies her thirst, as we looked at last week. But Boaz goes even just beyond her immediate needs of thirst and hunger by instructing his workers to allow Ruth to glean notice between the sheaves. This would have been a restricted area for anyone to glean, let alone a foreigner, because in between the sheaves is where the harvesters would have, after harvesting the barley, started to stack up the barley and the wheat, preparing it to be sold, preparing it to be made into bread. This is Boaz's prophets. And Boaz says, let her go there as well. You have to imagine that the workers, working hard in the field all day, are saying something in their head, if not even out loud, are you serious, Boaz? Are you kidding me? Sure, she's shown honor to her mother-in-law, but this is a Moabite woman. We're not required to give her this much kindness, a meal, this opportunity. So why is any of this significant? Well, if you go to Deuteronomy 24, what you'll find is the law that governed Israel, the Mosaic law, the Levitical code, the Mosaic covenant, required landowners to allow a widow, someone who was fatherless, or a foreigner, to glean, to walk behind the harvesters and collect the kernels as they dropped to glean. Without some type of provision like this, these individuals, they would have died. Without a husband or a father being a foreigner, they have no land. They have no provision. There's no other way that they would eat. But Boaz goes far above and beyond what is required of him by the law. He's not required to invite Ruth to lunch. He's not required to give her leftovers, to give her special opportunities, to give her the opportunity to glean in between the sheaves, and even, notice, fresh stalks out of the sheaves. No, he's not required to do any of that. Notice in verse 21, he's not required to provide oversight and provision and care and protection for her while she gleans. Friends, women were vulnerable in the fields out on their own. He's not required to do any of this. So friends, why on earth does Boaz do this? At his own expense, dipping into his own profits. Well, Deuteronomy 24, 22 tells us It says this, 
you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. God's great care and kindness for Israel informs Boaz's care and kindness for Ruth. As God was immeasurably kind to Israel, leading them out of slavery, making them a people for his own possession, giving them land, and blessing them with his covenant kindness, Israel is to remember this in every area of their life now. As their love and affections are reordered around the reflection upon God's kindness and generosity to them. Israel is to remember everything they have has been given to them by God. And they themselves are now sojourners and stewards in a land not their own. Remember, friends, this, why this is so important. The story of Ruth takes place during the period of the Judges. During the period of the Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There is a corrupted priesthood. There are no righteous prophets proclaiming God's law. The covenant God gave to Israel is not being kept or regulated. Boaz easily could have gotten away with doing the absolute bare minimum the law required of him, if doing that at all. But he goes far above and beyond the letter of the law, showing not only genuine kindness, but divine kindness to Ruth. This is because Boaz knows the only reason that he has anything is because God has delivered he and his people from the bondage of slavery. Not because they deserved it or were worthy of it, but simply because he loves them. Friends, you see that genuine kindness, divine kindness, is informed by God's kindness to us. Boaz knows God's kindness toward him, so he's able to extend that to another. He's able to embody God's love and care for his people. And he can give that to Ruth, despite the sacrifice it is for him. Friends, how much more do you and I know the kindness of God in Christ? Who did not count himself equal with God, but took the form of a servant, becoming a curse for us, dying a death that we deserved, living a life that we could not, simply because, friend, he loves you. In Titus chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is telling Titus, What does it mean to embody godliness? What does a Christian life look like? And he riddles off a Christian ethic. But he tells Titus as well, why do any of this? Why live like this? And it says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And this leads to the second point, which is divine 
kindness is mediated through people. People who have reflected on God's divine kindness for them and are now transformed to live according to a new ethic, a new ethos, a new way of living, one that is marked by sacrifice and love. See, Boaz is a responsible agent of God's love in the world, having received it himself as Israel is delivered from Egypt out of slavery, Boaz is an agent of divine kindness. Remember, friends, the story of Ruth is a rather ordinary one. There is little to no divine intervention that we're used to in the Old Testament. It's just ordinary people living in God's world as sojourn stewards with all that they have been blessed with in a land not their own. And Boaz is the mediator, one of the mediators of God's divine kindness to Ruth. And Ruth, notice, is a mediator of this divine kindness to Naomi. Verses 17 through 19 show us this. Because of Boaz's kindness to Ruth, she gleans an ephah which really means nothing to us. But if you looked it up, it's somewhere around 22 liters, which is about 22 pounds. And I don't know about you, but that's a lot of carbs. (laughs) For two women, that would have supplied for their needs for a month, maybe two, possibly even more. And notice she has opportunity to stay long term and to glean. Their immediate needs are taken care of for the foreseeable future. And Ruth has shown uh, kindness to Naomi thus far in the story. She's left everything to, to cling to her, to be with her. Friends, she has no requirement in, of the law on her. She is not a member of Israel. She's a foreigner. She takes the leftovers to her. She takes the food to her that will sustain them for the next month or so. But more than the physical needs, look at verse 19. She shares that it was a man named Boaz who has blessed her. This launches Naomi into an attitude of joy and hope for the very first time in the story. Verse 20 says why. Because Boaz is a redeemer. Naomi is looking beyond their immediate physical needs being met. She is looking to a future hope and has it for the first time in this story. Now, I can't flesh this quite out because it's going to develop more in chapter 3, but what is this concept of a redeemer? Well, if you look at Leviticus chapter 25, you'll see that in the life of Israel, if someone came upon massive poverty... If someone lost their husband or their father and could not provide for themselves, they could sell their land to another member of Israel and live off that income or live off that land or even sell themselves into slavery. The kinsman redeemer law in Leviticus 25 says that a relative of that person now sold into slavery or in poverty has the opportunity to buy 
that, ban- that land back for them. To redeem that land. To restore this person to health. To restore this individual. This has generational impact, friends. And Boaz is an eligible redeemer. There is hope for these women for the first time in this story as redemption is on the horizon. And this good, this good news makes Naomi's bitterness and emptiness turn to joy and hope. And friends, this is all mediated by the ordinary kindness of Boaz to Ruth and Ruth to Naomi. And I think this is why we start to see that kindness can be shallow oftentimes in the secular thinking because kindness is not merely a message. Kindness is not merely a message of positivity or sentiment. No, friends, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It is something that we have received from God. And it's also something that's cultivated within us as we're made new by His grace. So if anyone is to be a true mediator of genuine divine kindness, they must be reborn. They must know the kindness of God toward them. Now I'm not saying that people who are not regenerate and who are not made new are not able to be nice or able to be generous and give or to sacrifice or even be relatively kind. We believe in common grace. But what I am saying is that to embody divine kindness, something marked by sacrifice and love and gratitude and self-giving purely for the sake of another, no strings attached, no notoriety, this type of giving and generosity, it only comes from God. And as renewed and reborn people who, having contemplated the grace of God in Christ, are ambassadors and mediators of this kindness in the world. Friends, a world that is brutal. And now by God's Spirit, we're able to live and to love like this. Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Friend, are you struggling to be kind? To sacrifice for others? Maybe for your family you're struggling with this, let alone a neighbor or a co-worker or that one person that's just always in the back of your mind. Consider the forgiveness you have received in Christ. Because if you belong to Him, it's not by a single thing that you have done or ever could have done. He lived a life that you could not, died a death that you deserved, spilt worthy blood that we do not possess simply because He loves us. He loves you, friend. So that you could be redeemed and reconciled to the God of heaven and earth. No greater love is this than that a man lay down his life for his friends, John 15 says. 
But we love imperfectly, do we not? We are not always kind to our coworkers. We're not always kind to our children. We're not always kind to our spouse. Christ shows us how to reorder our loves and priorities and teaches us not to consider ourselves, but others. To be a servant as he has served us and been to us. Boaz demonstrates the divine kindness of God towards those whom he loves. He cares for Ruth as God cares for both Israel and the outsider, even at great cost to himself. He is a sojourn steward of all that God has called him to and blessed him with. Friend, Christ fills the gap for you and I when we are not kind by demonstrating the greatest act of love we could have ever imagined simply because he loves you. If you hear nothing else this morning, friend, no matter who you are, lifelong churchman, member, foreigner, Christ loves you. He loves you deeply. Oh Lord, Help us to reflect on your great love for us, that we would grow in our care for others, reorder our loves around the kindness and grace you have lavished upon us in Christ. We ask in the name of him who came to our rescue and delivered us from the bondage of slavery and death, Christ our Lord. Amen.